This episode may contain language or discussions that may be offensive or triggering. Refer to the episode summary for details. Welcome to On Her Terms Defined. (laughs) This is the third time, but I'm getting this right, audience. My name is Charlene Ketchum, and tonight I'm here with two wonderful, gracious educators, Ms. Nikkei Anderson and Tyron Williams. We recorded this episode last Friday, and I love giving people uh, teachable moments, so I'm sharing this. So we first recorded last Friday, and I'm recording on Zoom, and for those of you who record things on Zoom, pay attention to your view. Zoom records based on the setting that you are viewing it in. So if you have it on speaker only and you need to capture all of the screens, it won't. It will just record in the view that you have it in. Don't do what I did because you may not have two gracious people (laughs) who will allow you to re-record. So thank you, thank you, thank you ladies for joining me again. So first, before we launch into our conversation tonight, we are going to talk about ways that parents can empower their children as they navigate our new normal post, uh, well, we're still in the middle of COVID-19, but as we readjust to the learning environment uh, in this pandemic time, we will arm parents with some tools so that they can understand how to prepare their kids for going back to the traditional in-school environment. Uh, We will also outline some ways that you can explore homeschooling options. And we'll also talk about some ways you can combine the best of both worlds, how you can homeschool and utilize some resources from the public school system. Uh, So this is going to be a really, really enlightening conversation with these two educators. So first, I wanna just make sure the audience knows a little bit about both of you. So Ms. Anderson, if we can start with you, if you can tell everyone about what you do and your platform. Sure. I'm Nikkei Anderson. I am a blogger at thehomeschoolgenius.com where I share education and resources for all things homeschool. And I am also a mom of two and a wife. Uh, I live in Georgia. So uh, that's a little bit about me. (laughs) And Ms. Williams. Um, I'm Taryn Williams. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. I am a mother of two also, a young gentleman, 20 and 18 year old um, daughter. I am an educator, elementary education. This will mark my 13th year of teaching elementary setting. I have two years of special education setting as well. And out of those 13 years, I spent about five years in ELL classes, which is also known as English language learners. So um, you that's the kids who native who comes in as English as a second language. I don't think I've remembered you saying that last time. Wow. Hey, this is really cool. I, I forgot to mention that. And I'm like, it's probably something important to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so impressed by the level of experience between the two of you. What inspired each of you to, to be go into education and become educators? Well, I guess I'll start first. Um, I decided to go into education. I originally wanted to become a university professor. So I went and got my master's degree in educational leadership, um, but God had other plans. So um, we ended up homeschooling, of course. But yes, I originally wanted to become a professor. And I also was very interested in curriculum development, particular for, for public schools to help children to better connect with their education. And 
I really wanted to be a part of that system. But again, like I said, God had other plans. So here we are homeschooling. (laughs) And I got my start. My mother was the principal of my elementary school in uh, Missouri. And it was a private school. And it was a small school and it was predominantly Black. So I'm just the the um, relationship I saw that she had with uh, the student body and the parents and when she called the kids sweetheart love bugs and you know um, just that kind of connection um, made me want to go into teaching and and continue that same type of connection um, with students and um, of course with my love of learning I love learning new things and I like to kind of spread that with the other students but with other kids as well and that's basically the gist of my for me (laughs) Wonderful. What's what I love about what both of you said is is there was a family connection that inspired both of you to go into education. For you, Ms. Anderson, it was having children, you know, wanting to homeschool your kids. And and then for you, Ms. Williams, it was just the desire to to emulate what you saw in your mom being an educator. And I remember when I was in school, I mean, when you talked about the teachers hugging and kissing. And I don't know how much they get to necessarily do of that these days, but I know when I was growing up, our teachers hugged, kissed us. We also got hit with the ruler or with (laughs) our hand and I'm an eighties baby. So I know that they weren't supposed to be doing that (laughs) at that time, but (laughs) it was all a form of, of love. I mean, my teachers, they would cook and I don't think you can bring home cooked food to schools anymore, but back then, you know, they could cook. I mean, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, they can't, can they? No, yeah. no, unfortunately not. We yeah, can cook, well, we cook in a classroom, like with crock pots, but that's about it. Well, we used to have collard greens and everything and fried chicken. <laughs> My teachers, like once a month, we celebrated like academic success and things. And they would, they would cook. The teachers would, it was basically a potluck, but it was the teachers bringing in all the food. And it is just, I, I didn't realize oh. like how not common that was until because I grew up and I'm from St. Louis, Missouri too, like like you, Ms. Williams, but I grew up going to the St. Louis City public schools in North St. Louis. So they were predominantly black. So my teachers were predominantly black. And it was just a completely different culture until mm-hmm. when I went to high school, I was in the desegregation program, which put me in one of the schools that was in West County, Missouri, and most of my teachers were not Black. I was in high school at that point. So I think that was the bonus for me because I think as kids, the young kids really need to see people who look like them and get that nurturing from people who look like them. And so Mm -hmm. at least I had the benefit of having gotten that all the way up until the ninth grade. But when I went to West County schools in the DSEG program, it was like, there's no affection. I mean, there may have been affection towards other kids, but it wasn't directed towards me. And so it was like a huge culture shock because I was used to growing up. Right. I mean, the affection, but also the accountability, because like I said, those teachers, they laid hands on you Mm -hmm. and they told your parents they laid hands on you and it it wasn't a problem. Oh, yeah. No. Um, And actually, I kind of think of it as like a family outside of a family within school settings, especially with in predominantly black school settings um that's definitely an experience 
that I have had as well too growing up in my mother's school, you know, again, which was predominantly black. And it was just, it was, you know, it was like coming to school with cousins and aunties and it's that camaraderie that you have with yes. each other, you know, definitely. And even with the, with the public school, cause I went from private to public, which is, you know, we, we still had that same, that same connection. Our, I had a math teacher that used to have a long ruler stick and she yes. used to tap you on your, on your hand, like pay attention. And, yes. you know, we dare not went home and tell our parents cause we already knew we told our parents we were going to get it anyway. Cause the teacher, yeah. you know, you know, we, we just knew respect the teachers and mm-hmm. the, the teacher was going to be right. And you need to pay attention because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to take the teacher side. So <laughs> it was that was just what we grew up with. And I, I just it always just felt like when I leave home, I'm going home to my second family. Yeah. So definitely that that warmth was definitely there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that that wasn't it wasn't like that for me. <laughs> I grew up in Rhode Island. <laughs> I grew up in Rhode Island, so our schools were not like that. My husband, he grew up all over. His, he was in the military, his family. But when he ever told me that the teachers would like give him paddles and stuff, I was like, what? <laughs> it didn't happen in Rhode Island. <laughs> I was so shocked. I was like, what? Really? He's like, yeah, I would get a paddle from the principal and they would let my parents know. And, you know, it was this big thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't have any of that like family environment you know unfortunately mm-hmm. yeah but what's amazing is yeah. your children get to benefit from it in the in the form of the the homeschooling community so if you would describe that because a lot of people in the audience may not necessarily know what homeschooling looks like a lot of people may when they hear it they may envision that it's like little house on the prairie. <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, for a lot of people, that's their frame of reference and not, you know, like dissing that, but you know, it's it's yeah. a lot, it's a lot different from that as well. So can it you is. describe a little bit about like what homeschooling looks like? Sure. Um, homeschooling has definitely evolved. <laughs> so <laughs> it's no longer, you know, the family and the boonies that right. aren't around anyone, you know, anybody can homeschool. African-Americans are the fastest growing demographic um, in homeschooling. So you're seeing more people of color homeschooling. You're seeing homeschoolers in cities. There is a wonderful homeschool community in Atlanta and all of the greater Atlanta areas. They have like great home groups. Like there's just so many of them. And homeschooling looks for us. Uh, we, <laughs> I just came back from actually a homeschool group trip we went out to the boonies and um, (laughs) the kids learned how to shoot rifles they learned how to do archery they learned about falconry went on a nature walk and this was with our homeschool group and we were there all day and so if I sound tired that's why (laughs) literally all day long didn't get home until like uh, nearly near to five, five o'clock, just about. Oh. And so I had to take a mini nap before wow. this, but <laughs> we wow. were there all day and it was so much fun. I shot a rifle for the first time and so did my kids. And it was a lot of first experiences. And, yeah. you know, I love to tell my kids like, you know, anytime we have a first time experience, I'm like, you know, we're creating new neurological pathways 
by this new experience. And they're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> but it was so much fun. My husband got to come along as well. Um, so it was nice. There was a lot of dads there. And that's something also that you're seeing a lot in the homeschool community is a lot of dads are very involved um, in the education of their children. So I was excited to see a lot of dads there. And, you know, we have a lot of longtime friends that also came with us. And so this is great because we get to have this experience together and uh, my kids get to grow up with other children. We've been in, we've been homeschooling for six years. It's our sixth year and our kids basically have friends that they've met six years ago when we first started in our homeschooling group and those friendships have been able to develop. So it looks, it looks a lot different from what a lot of people perceive as far as like socialization. We had a whole day full of socialization. Our children, they have friends. I have longtime friends as well. And both parents are usually heavily involved um, in the homeschooling process as well, both the mom and the dad, if it's a two parent household. And so there's that entire sense of, of community. I mean, you really have reinvented and expanded your community within the learning environment. Couldn't, couldn't do it without a community. <laughs> it would be very, very, very lonely without a community and, and difficult too. So how does it work in terms of, so like for, for me, for example, I, I joke and tell people I can only count to 10. Like I... <laughs> I cannot, I failed geometry. I'm just keeping it real. In high school, I failed geometry. I had to take it over again in summer school. The teacher felt bad for me. I mean, I did the work. I think I earned like a D or something, but I got a C and that, that's not my area. Okay. So my child will really struggle and suffer. I would skip over all of that. So what happens when there's a parent like me who, yeah, can only count to 10? What do you do in, in terms of your community and how do you collaborate with other parents to kind of fill those gaps and deficiencies? Um, well, we there's a couple of things we do. One is do something called cooperatives where parents get together and they teach their strengths. So, you know, me, I was an English major. And so I would teach like reading and language arts and, and all of that jazz. And I have um, taught a couple of classes in the past. I've also taught um, some black history as well. And we all get together and whatever our strength is, we hold classes and we will enroll our children in those classes and they will get to learn from another parent. And the great thing about this is a lot of them are ex-teachers. So, <laughs> so you know, you're finding <laughs> we have ex-teachers, we have ex-lawyers, we have ex-doctors, we have ex-engineers. And so it's a very, very well-educated community of parents. But I need to put out there, you do not have to be super like educated master's doctorate degree to homeschool your child. All you need okay. is a high school diploma. They also have a program called the K-12 program where it's basically full at home. So the government puts the curriculum together for you. Your child can get online and it's basically virtual learning for your child. So if you have zero experience, but you would like for your child to get that homeschool experience, you can enroll in a K-12 program. It's technically not homeschooling because you are along with uh, the school district and, and what they're doing. But it, it is an alternative if a parent is feeling like, I really want to homeschool, but you know, I don't necessarily feel like you know I'm 
adequate or equipped enough to homeschool. So that's another option. The best option, I would say, is joining a co-op. Um, there's also a lot of places that will host homeschool students. So for instance, we just went to, you know, a place that hosted us and, you know, they taught us about falconry and, and rifles and how to use weapons safely and, and, and all of that. And so we were hosted. There's a lot of art galleries that will host us. And so there's just so many opportunities for your child to learn where it takes the pressure off of you. Of course, there's a lot of online, uh, you know, classes that your child can enroll in as well. I have enrolled my children in a lot of online classes with subjects that they really want to learn, but I'm not well versed in. Coding is one of them. My children are super coders. I know nothing about coding. Everyone gives me the credit when I share on social media. I want to put it out there. Fabulous. You are I know nothing about coding. (laughs) Thank you. I know nothing about coding. My children are self-taught when it comes to coding. They know how to research the classes. They know how to research the tutorials and they will create amazing things. They've done amazing animations. They've done just amazing, amazing things, computer programming and coding. And I know nothing about it. So don't worry if you're a parent that (laughs) it's like, I know nothing. I don't know how this is going to work. You will find that your child will like, once they find a passion, they will do whatever it takes to um, go ahead and, and teach themselves. All you have to do is provide them with the resources. Wow. So this is, and this is a question for both of you. So how does a parent determine? So it, let's say that your child is, is currently in an in-school, you know, traditional school setting. So how do you as a parent determine if homeschooling would be a good fit for your child? Should you, you know, would Ms. Williams, would, a, would the teacher be able to give some insights on what type of learner does it, you know, is it based on that child's learning style or how much socialization they need? What are some things, some factors that parents might want to consider if, if they want to determine if this is a good option for them? I know for me, I would definitely say it's, I think in the bottom line, it's just a parent choice. I know schools can offer a lot of services, especially if um, students are struggling with any type of intellectual delay or, you know, if they need special services for, you know, any type of mental disorders or anything. I know schools can offer services to assist, but I would say overall, it really just generally depends on the parent and the child, you know, of having that parent choice. Because from my opinion, when I see students being taken out of the school environment, it's usually because of the, the, the school environment itself. Maybe the school is a little rough and they feel that their child mm-hmm. isn't learning Well, they probably just feel like their child is not learning as much as they should. Or what we mentioned last time before with their, you know, if a child is constantly getting in trouble in school, you know, um, know, I've had had parents had concerns about the prison to school pipeline situation where their child is getting suspended too much and they feel like, you know, it's not fair, it's unjust for their child. So they will pull the school out, their their child Mm -hmm. out of the school. Those are the two main cases that I've seen as a teacher in my lifetime so that's why I say it's pretty much a parent choice of what they feel will be the best route for their child. I, I encourage both. Um, I think at the end of the day, a parent know their child and know what they're capable of. So if a parent advocate for their child to be homeschooled, I will fully, you know, fully support that decision and help a parent out whichever way I can assisting with that, you know, with that decision. Yeah, that's, that's, I just wanted to throw in there also that, 
you know, I mentioned to y'all last time how my son, he was in this pre-K program that was in alignment with the public school system. And when I was talking to his teachers, the topic of homeschool did come up. And one thing that his, you know, his teachers were saying was, I hope that the next teacher that Micaiah has, that's his name. I hope that the next teacher he has really understands him, you know, really understands his personality and the way he learns because he does learn very differently. You know, of course we have like a lot of different learning styles with, with children, but that was their, their, that was something that they actually said to us. And I said, you know, well, we were, we were thinking about homeschooling because even as a parent, I knew that he, the traditional classroom, I knew (laughs) it wasn't, Mm -hmm. it wasn't going to be something that, you know, he just likes to move around. He's very kinesthetic learner. He has to touch things. Um, He is also, he like wrote memorization is not going to work with him. The, a lot of the school model, they do like the, the year model where, you know, you, you have to master one stage to go to the next and the type of learner that he is, that wouldn't work for him either. (laughs) So um, they were really, they caught it. I was really, I was really surprised. And at the time I didn't really know exactly to the extent of what they were talking about until I actually started like really teaching him. And I'm like, okay, I see what they were talking about. But when I mentioned that, you know, we might homeschool and we were thinking about it. They were like, they were like, I, I definitely think he would do very well homeschooling. So ultimately it was our decision, but the the teachers did kind of pick up Mm -hmm. on a few things where they might see, you know, he, he may have trouble thriving in, in these particular areas because of the way he learns, or he might have um, some kind of clashes with the teachers because of the way his personality is. And they were kind of able to like pick up on that. So that was really interesting to me. Yeah. And I appreciate that you were able, that you had, that you were able to receive those insights from the teacher, because I know a lot of times, and I've talked about this with friends and colleagues, sometimes people are understandably so very sensitive when it comes to someone saying, okay, your child may not be like the rest of, they may not learn in the same way as the majority. Cause that's not a negative thing. You know, as right. you know that we all have our different learning styles. And I think what's very challenging in the traditional school setting is that because the teacher is managing so many different personalities and so many different personalities bringing so much baggage into the classroom that they really Mm -hmm. can accommodate a lot of individuality. And that may be one of the reasons that I've heard several things that both of you mentioned as rationales for homeschooling, particularly as it relates to black children trying to avoid that prison pipeline being concerned about bullying or, you know, not all Mm -hmm. school environments, learning environments are warm and fuzzy with all the other, the classmates. Mm -hmm. So maybe wanting to pull your child out of that. And then also maybe wanting to accommodate your child's unique learning needs. So just to talk about Mm -hmm. for a moment, because Ms. Anderson, you mentioned earlier that Blacks are are one of the fastest groups in homeschooling. And I've read so many articles about that. So from both of your perspectives, outside of the three things that I outlined, the prison pipeline, avoidance, bullying in school, and wanting to address individual learning styles, are there any other reasons that is kind of fueling 
all of these parents of color now exploring homeschooling as a viable option? I would say the word on the street <laughs> would be <laughs> would be the micro the microaggressive racism. Yeah. So it's the it's it's not the overt stuff that you see. Mm-hmm. It's it's the micro it's the stuff that will have a child go home and question themselves because it's not like the teacher overtly said anything to them or did anything to them. It's how they how the teacher made them mm-hmm. feel, how they were treated and, you know, things of that nature. So that's a lot of what I'm hearing personally from parents that are choosing to pull their children out of a public school is, is try, they're trying to avoid the psychological damage that they can already see that their child is starting to experience mm-hmm. from certain teachers. And so I would definitely say that that, that is something that has been discussed in a lot of the uh, Black homeschool groups that I'm a part of. Yeah. And I talk about that with friends. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I think it I'm sorry. Okay. And I think also it stems from the, the your, your demographic background that you're into, because I know in some areas, especially here in, in St. Louis, Missouri, we do have those predominantly, um, predominantly white areas where children of color has moved out to those areas and they have experienced that microaggression mm-hmm. or in some sense they have actually experienced complete racism, you know, within those school systems. And mm-hmm. so um, I do have friends who say, hey, you know, well, what about this school district? Should we move out here? And these are some of the things I'm, I'm noticing with my kid now that we're out here. And, you know, I would tell them, well, try a private school or, you know, try, you know, they have asked, what about homeschool? And I'm like, you know, if you have the resources and the time, or, you know, I say go for it. But yeah, from what Miss Anderson is saying, you know, I, I agree with her 100% in that aspect of, you know, um, dealing with the microaggression and, and racism within the schools. Again, depending on those school demographics, because, you know, that is a major concern for, you know, some of my friends who have moved out in certain areas around um, in, in Missouri. And but it's I'm pretty young. sure that can be anywhere. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I, it I know it's, especially with today's society. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, and it's tricky because, you know, a lot of times parents, because you all try so hard to provide the best environment and the best options for your children. And so I know a lot of parents, including friends of mine, who've moved to particular areas to be in certain school districts. And it's it may be the best school district in terms of, you know, amenities and, and rankings. But when you talk about you have mm-hmm. a Black child, that's, a, that's an entirely different set of criteria. And you don't know it a lot of times until you get there, unless you have people, you know, who are in the district and can tell you. And, you know, from my experience, I just, you know, it wasn't, it was all, it was, it was what you were talking about, Ms. Anderson. None of it was, was just blatant, but there was a lot of just, you know, it was, it was a lot a, a different, the undertones of things from, from teachers and from the students and everything, because our, the school I went to was in a really affluent area. So you had a little bit of everything. And so looking at my experience that I had in high school, I would, I, it would be really hard for me to voluntarily send my child to that environment, particularly in this mm-hmm. day and time, because I think that we really have to try to be aware of what were the choices that we're making to try to make our, ch- our children as psychologically intact 
and empowered <laughs> as possible. Yes. And they spend uh-huh. so much time at school, you know, and it's, it's interesting what you said earlier, Ms. Anderson, when you said you noticed your, your son um, needing to be able to touch things and do different things as part of his learning style once you started working with him a lot. You know, a lot of parents have had some epiphanies and Ms. Williams, I'm sure you've got parents calling you saying, now I see what you've been saying, because over this last year, they're getting it. (laughs) They're getting it. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they actually start starting to see some of the issues that their child is actually facing when they in regards to their learning or in regards of following simple directions Mm -hmm. you know at home it doesn't seem as apparent you know when you're at home but you know within the school setting when teachers have about 25 other kids in the classroom and you're telling everyone take out your notebook and a pencil and turn to page 65 and I have a child who will take out a pencil and like okay now what did you say next and what do I you know it's you know again sometimes it's just understanding that you know, wow, my, my child really do may have some of these issues is it's following, you know, again, following those simple three steps of directions. And, you know, maybe I understand why they're sometimes lost in the classroom because they're not mm-hmm. processing as I thought that they would process as, you know, as, you know, the other children are. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I've, I've definitely heard parents say like, my child is actually a problem. <laughs> It's not just, you know, it's not just the, it's not just the teacher. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it validated. A lot of right. teachers are getting validation <laughs> over the last year. Are we, how concerned? Right, it's like, you? finally. <laughs> like, I hate that it had to come out like this. Like, <laughs> now you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, I know. Funny story, I actually have a kid that I have um, in Zoom. He had a parent that sat next, right? To him in Zoom, like doing while we we're doing virtual learning. So I used to say, like, why is the parent sitting right there? You know, let him, you know, figure his own way out and do his work. And now that we're in person, so the they signed for him to come back in person. And I think within the first week of in person, uh, by the second week, I have him sitting next to me because <laughs> he's just all over the place in the oh. classroom. I'm like, your shoes off, all of, all of your content is on the floor, your mask is not over your face. I'm like, babe, just come sit right next to me. Let me get you together. <laughs> so yeah, you know, it happens. So, you know, they just become our babies too. I'm like, come sit next to me. <laughs> so now that you mentioned that, so how, how has this transition been, or I'm trying to think of a way to, and, and you can respond to this as, as much as you feel comfortable doing so, but I wonder like, how has the transition been back to the traditional school environment during this these COVID times? Um, has there been um, a learning loss um, academically? I know that the kids were still doing virtual learning, but depending on the capabilities of the parents and the availability of the parents, because a lot of people were, were still juggling work while they were trying to help their kids with their academics. Um, so how has there been a significant learning loss with the students? Uh, absolutely. Honestly, yes. And I think that was something that we all expected anyway. And I think as teachers or parents as well, I think, I think everyone have pretty much just done the best we could, you know, yeah. expecting the worst, but still giving the best that you can give within that situation. So have those learning been lost? Absolutely. It has. Um, we had, 
kids who, um, unfortunately, actually had a kid who took his life mm-hmm. back in February. So we had kids who suffered from depression and everything. So it, it, it took a lot of toll on us teachers virtually, um, mm-hmm. you know, reaching out to our kids and making sure that they're okay. And we're trying to do it all virtual. So, you know, it was, it was hard. Learning has been lost, but now that we're back in person, for the kids who have come back, I see them, they're more energetic. They're ready. They're, I think mm-hmm. at this point, now that they're back in school, they mm-hmm. saw how hard it was trying to learn mm-hmm. virtual. So I think now that they're back in school, mm-hmm. they are actually taking this opportunity a little bit more serious now. <laughs> so, I mean, if you walk in my classroom, you can hear a pin drop when I ask them, okay, let's, you know, open up our books, turn, you know, turn, get your computers on. We're going to open up Canvas and we're going to work on this assignment. They're there just like that. Um, so I think, it was an eye-opener for them also to say, hey, you know, virtual learning was kind of hard. So now that I'm back in person, you know, I'm getting back into the groove. I want to learn. So speaking from my experience, I, you know, it's less behaviors. Of course, it's less kids in the classroom. And I see that they're a little bit more focused and more motivated within the setting that we have. But, um, and it's, it's no way of getting around it. It, it just des- definitely has. Yes. Yeah. Are there any things that parents should be doing right now to try to compensate for that or you know, what should parents be doing to try to to help their kids get to where they need to be I don't know I probably would have an un, this this might be an unpopular opinion but I really feel that you know this is a new thing that we have all experienced so I've always told parents you know just keep doing what you're doing keep providing those opportunities for them keep keep them motivated with learning there are a lot of I mean you know, if you can afford tutoring give them tutoring but, you know, at the same time, I'm just like, you know, just show, give them grace because kids actually will learn within their own pace. I, as I said before, I had kids who started off this school year below basic. And by the end of the school year for, well, we didn't, not the end of the school year, but midway during the school year, a lot of them had, event, had moved up to being prevent, proficient in advance. So, you know, it can happen. It will happen. And I think, you know, with this whole new environment is just, you know, giving these, just giving kids grace, continue to provide those opportunities for learning. You know, if you can get tutoring, get tutoring, if you can roll enroll them in summer school, enroll them in summer school. I think the bottom line for parents to do to help their child, you know, just to catch up is just to, I guess, just continue to be supportive. You know, if all is not the end, if, if they get an F in, in, in algebra or in calculus, you know, Again, they were faced with something very hard. So don't be hard on them. If summer school is available, give them summer school. If I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. It's just like, you know, you, you just got to give them grace. You know, we teachers, we had grace. Everyone pretty much gave each other grace during this pandemic. And it's just real. We have to realize that a lot of these kids, they lost sports. They lost prom. They lost, you know, their dancing. They missed hanging out with friends. You know, just, just provide them with that support and love and just say, hey, you know what? We messed up uh, college algebra this year, but, you know, don't worry, we're going to support you. We're going to give you the help that you need. You know, reach out to some friends who may teach math, ask the teacher for extra support, extra help. I know a lot of teachers are willing to do, but I mean, I just tell parents, don't, don't stress it. Just continue to be supportive for your child and, you know, just understand the place that we're in. I love that you emphasized grace. Because I don't know if y'all read that book, Tiger Mom. It came out years ago. It's a really interesting read about um, this mom who, Chinese mom, who was really, I, I think she wrote the book or her daughter did. 
Um, but she was like hardcore, like hard, hardcore in terms of just academics, everything had to be perfect, perfect, perfect. And her children really resented her for it because she just placed academics above well-being. And I know that a lot of parents right now, and I understand, you know, college applications and things like that are highly competitive. And a lot of parents are thinking 10, 10 steps down the road and they're thinking, okay, we got to catch up because we missed this entire year to do all these academics and volunteer things, all those other things that look good on college applications. So right now there are some parents sitting somewhere <laughs> trying to figure out how can we make up for this year we quote unquote lost. And that kid is feeling a lot of that pressure and they, and a lot of them were probably feeling that pressure before then, but now it's, it's just, it's magnified because you couple that with everything else that's happening right. in the world. So for both of you, like in general, like how do parents balance their children's academic performance with their emotional well-being when, you know, these things are necessary, grades do matter you know, the transcript matters, you know, the application, you know, credentials matter for colleges and things. So how do you as a parent do the best you can do while trying to make sure this human that, you know, you're grooming for the world is actually well when you send them off to the next stage? Well, we, um, we practice something in our homeschool called whole child education. And um, this is what I coach other homeschooling families on. And it's the premise that, you know, a child is more than their academics. They're more than their cognitive abilities. They've actually have six selves that need to be nurtured and developed. And, you know, so to help parents out that might feel like, you know, their child has lost something, know that your child has different areas that could possibly need attention, like their emotional intelligence, their social intelligence and, and, and emotional and social, social health as well. Their, you know, their physical health, you know, what they eat, let their, how their bodies challenges itself. Cause you know, a physical health and, and children being active is actually beneficial to their brain development. So you actually get to benefit academically, um, ensuring that your child gets their daily exercise in, as well as ensuring that your child eats a very healthy, balanced diet as well. Very great for their cognitive development. And so if you're worried, you know, about academic portion, try to focus on other areas and you will probably see their uh, academics start to increase, you know, their academic skills start to get better and strengthen as you focus on those. Check in with your children, check in with them emotionally, see how they're doing. You know, the other selves, you know, are also creative and spiritual. So creative, what does your child believe that they're born to do? You know, like what, are, what, what puts that spark in your child's eye? For my children, it's, definitely animation, you know, um, especially for my oldest child. He just, that is his dream and he loves to do it and he's very good at it. And, you know, he will just sit at the computer and he will just, he will write the script, the story out, and he will, you know, he'll figure out how to do the coding and he'll draw the animation to himself and he's got his little tablet. And so he'll do all of that. And that's, 
just something that makes his eyes sparkle. And he can spend hours on that. And sometimes I'm like, oh, you don't need to spend that much time sitting on a computer. You're just 11 years old. (laughs) But when I think about it, I'm like, man, he's, I mean, he's incorporated like language arts and grammar and, you know, and reading and he's incorporated, you know, math and he's incorporated like so many different subjects into one just by, you know, uh, being creative. And so think of your child as a, a creative being and, 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 and focus on what they love to do and, and help them to develop in those areas. And that will probably, you know, transfer over to their academic life as well, because whatever kids are doing, they're sharpening some type of skill. <laughs> if you follow me on social media, you know that I'm always looking up the benefits we went to the park the other day and we did something as simple as just we shot slingshots, you know, the little plastic ones. Yeah. And when I looked up the benefits uh, um, of shooting slingshots, I was like, wow, you know, like we're not just shooting slingshots here. Right. Like they, there's actually something going on in the child's brain that is like, okay, I have to draw the, you know, I have to draw and I have all that scientific stuff that has to come into play in order for it to work. That is don't, that is what their brains are, you know, um, assessing and learning. And so any, everything that your child does just about is, is something where they are learning. Children are always learning. It's what they do. It's what they're good at. And they don't have to necessarily be sitting in a classroom to do it. They don't necessarily have to be reading a textbook to do it. They are always learning. So, you know, that's another thing I would like parents to to relax a little bit about is is they're they're learning they might not be learning from the textbook but there's something that they're learning and if you can focus on what is it that my child is learning it'll kind of help you to to relax about the the learning loss you know because as Taryn said you know everything will all work itself out you know they'll they'll get there you know (laughs) they will eventually get there so it's okay they're they're gonna get there Right. And absolutely. And I agree with what you were saying, Nikkei, about the whole child. And I think a lot of times, sometimes parents may forget that. And even sometimes as teachers, too, we kind of, you know, forget that, you know, there's more to a child than just academics. Mm -hmm. So making sure in a classroom you provide those other avenues where kids can be kids, where they can have their downtime and, you know, be themselves. So I know for my classroom, before we start our day, we have morning meetings and our morning meetings is where we're able to, you know, express our thoughts and ideas. It's a safe space. So sometimes I will have a topic of the day. Um, I kind of let them express what's on their mind. Um, kids are actually, they're, they're watching, they're seeing what's going on in the world. They're ex- exposed to a lot more stuff than more than what we think. So, you know, a lot of times they bring the discussions to class and I'm like, okay, well, you want to talk about that? You know, let's go. Like, what, what do you think? So, you know, giving them that time to have their voice and their opinions in a safe space and, you know, just allowing them to be able to get that, to get that out as well. And I believe I mentioned before, another thing I use is, you know, journaling, letting students um, get their opinions and ideas out, you know, through journaling. And, you know, sometimes if, if they want to share, they share, if they want to share, they don't have to share. And, you know, it's, it's totally up to them. It's something that they can keep private for themselves. But as long as they're given that, that outlet, that opportunity to just express themselves with, with their way, whether it's verbal or my written expression, you know, I, I will allow that within the classroom. 
And then sometimes at the end of the day, like about 10 minutes while we're waiting for the bell and the buses to come pick up, sometimes we just sit around and just have a basic conversation. Oh, well, you know, you have football. Tell me about football. What's going on? When is the game? All right. You know, I'm come out there to the game and cheer you on. So again, just, you know, for those kids to kind of, to balance their life with, with learning and then, you know, with the other stimulus of what's going on within the world, just provide an opportunity to just remember their kids and let them be themselves, let them express what they're thinking without us always telling them, well, I wouldn't say without us telling them what to think, but, um, you know, just let them arrive to conclusions with their own experiences and what, and what they pick up around the world, you know, just give them an opportunity to, to be expressive. Yeah. What I love about what both of you just said is just that empowerment component, because we talk so much about adults finding their voices and being empowered, but, you know, we're born with that. You know, kids are very outgoing. You know, a kid will tell if you want to know how you look for real, ask a kid, you know, the younger, the better. Oh, that's a kid. Oh, yeah. You know, if they got the <laughs> words, they going to tell you. <laughs> You toe up, you know, whatever it is they're thinking, they're oh, going yeah. to tell you, but then we teach them. And part of it is, you know, etiquette and how to be kind and, and everything and empathetic. And, and we should teach them that. But so often with our lessons, we reprogram the way that they receive and interpret their own feelings and responses. And so what I love about what both of you just said is you're really helping restore their voices and teach them that your voice matters and here's how to use it effectively and when. And also you're giving them that ability to say, you know what, I don't wanna share this. I have this, this self-care outlet to journal, you know, or spend this time on my computer coding because this is what makes me happy. This is what relaxes me, you know, but I don't necessarily have to share that with you or anybody else all the time. This can just be just for me. And so you're both teaching them self-care as well Whereas a lot of us, we're having to learn and redefine those things or define it to begin with as adults. And so I love that you're teaching kids how to be empowered with their voices, how to know that they can keep some things to themselves, how to practice mm -hmm. self-care. That's mm -hmm. awesome. Cause you know, it's that'll, they will be healthier, more well-rounded, emotionally balanced adults as a result of it. Yeah. And I, and that's one thing I love about homeschooling is that okay. I'm learning as well. Like I'm learning alongside my children. So when we're going over, you know, like, you know, we have this book that I just picked up about emotional intelligence and, and social skills and things like that. I'm learning some of this stuff too, you know, <laughs> like I'm, yeah. I'm actually learning. And so that's the exciting part is that get to fix yourself yeah. <laughs> as your, as your child gets to, you know, have this nice clean slate of, you know, okay, I, I'm aware of my emotional self and I'm, a, I'm aware of my boundaries and I'm aware of what makes me happy, what makes me excited. And I'm aware of how to think and people aren't teaching me what to know. And, you know, so I love that I'm able to learn alongside of them, you know, as well in, in some aspects. And so I'm at, it's actually helping me. I know a lot of parents, a lot of homeschool parents can vouch for the fact that they're learning just as much, if not more than their children, you know, during this process, they're learning a lot about themselves and where it's, it's a, it's, 
an opportunity to heal yourself, you know, really, because you are learning alongside your child and you're learning so much about yourself through the entire homeschool journey process. So it's been, it's been fun. It's been amazing. I learned as well from my students so much, but I'm also like unlearning a lot of practices that, that I learned when I was younger, thinking that it was okay. And now like, you know, what well, my teacher did it. So, you know, this is just how teaching goes. So mm-hmm. I'm actually learning and unlearning, you know, practices that were probably once fine back then, but now it's like, you know, not so acceptable now. Um, it's a great experience, you know, working with kids because you, you, it's, it's a roller coaster of learning. <laughs> <laughs> so with that roller coaster though, how do you find balance and time for your own self-care, both as parents, as educators and teachers, as educators? Like how are you balancing self-care while while helping nurture these, these, these tiny humans. (laughs) (laughs) It starts off with boundaries, of course. So, and knowing your boundaries, knowing your triggers and letting your family know what your boundaries and your triggers are when you might need to take a moment and when you need a break. And so, you know, that's one of the the things I'm learning to uh, maneuver, you know, so to speak, is making sure that I'm, I'm, I set my boundaries, making sure that I'm aware of my triggers and acting accordingly. Also, you know, just what we did today just reminded me of like, wow, incorporating self-care like into the entire family. So we all know we need to exercise. We all know we need vitamin D and sunlight and all of that. And so being able to just take my family on a nature walk and just be with nature and have that sunlight shining down and producing all the vitamin D in your body and getting that exercise in is very crucial for self-care. You know, as we know, it reduces the cortisol levels, it reduces anxiety. And so um, I just was like, wow, I just, I was out there and I was like, I feel so great, you know? But the great thing is, is that my entire family feels great because we're all doing it together. And so that's another way you can incorporate self-care if you don't necessarily have the time to, to take for yourself involve the entire family into the activity, you know, go for a family walk around the neighborhood. One thing I love about my neighborhood is you're always seeing families just walking together around 7 p.m. We live in Georgia, so, you know, it's still light out here around 7 p.m. And that's when the sun is going down and it's it's nice and cool outside. So you see all the families just walking around and, and getting their exercise together. And so so that's one tip I would give is, is to make it a family thing. You know, everyone needs to eat, right? Everyone needs to exercise. Everyone needs the sunshine and vitamin D. Everyone needs to, you know, do all those things. So why not just collaborate and make it a family effort? Right. And I would say, you know, understand that everything that you probably want to get done is not going to get done in one day. And, then, and it's, it's okay if it doesn't get done, you know, you know, take care of the most important things first. And then for me, I give myself a cutoff time. You know, I, you know, try to set a schedule for myself. Okay, from this time and this time, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. But, you know, there are times when I don't get to finish, but I know eight o'clock, that's my cutoff time. If it's not done by a certain time, I'll put it away. I will get back with it. I, you know, I just make another schedule for, for that to happen for the next day. And, you know, I will 
get my shower in, get my stretches in, and turn on my favorite TV show, my guilty pleasure, my uh, Atlanta Housewives, or, you know, I love reality TV, so... <laughs> So like my guilty pleasure is the the crazy reality TV shows. So I'm like, hey, you know that's that's my happy place. So you know, just you know, just you got to make time for yourself. As, you know, you know, just making time for yourself and understand everything's not going to get done and it's going to be okay. Right. Yes. And and start small. You know, um, that's one tip I I like yes. to give parents is start small because. Self-care can be overwhelming sometimes, you know, you think that I have to just carve out this entire hour to soak in a bubble bath or, you know, uh, get my nails done. But if you don't have an hour, if you're a new mom and a nursing mom and you've got multiple kids, if you don't have that kind of time, you know, you can start <laughs> just five minutes, you know, a day and do whatever you need to do in those five minutes to establish peace. So if you need to pray, if you need to meditate, if you want to read a book, a page or two from a, one of your favorite books, if you want to, I don't know, scroll through social media, whatever. I don't think that will give you peace though. So don't do that. <laughs> but um, whatever, you need to do, whatever you need to do to give, start small and, and set the timer on your phone and say, yeah. you know, I'm going to take five minutes to stretch, or I'm going to take five minutes to run in place and do what you need to do. And you'll find that that mm -hmm. five minutes, you know, gradually increase to 10, 15 minutes. And you might set it to five minutes and you might be like, oh, the baby's still sleeping. I can get this done or that done or do this. And so you just never know, but start small. It doesn't have to be like, oh, I got to carve out mm -hmm. this a mass amount of amount of time to dedicate to myself you can literally just start with five minutes and I love the first 15 so I love like when you wake up in the morning dedicating that first 15 to doing something that help you again establish that peace whether that's um, writing out your to-do list or you know doing that stretch or prayer or meditation they say that the first 15 minutes sets the trajectory for your day and so all it really takes is five to 15 minutes and, and start there. And, and then you can, you know, gradually increase mm -hmm. you know, as time goes on. Yeah, absolutely. I remember being a new mom, my, my escape was Target. I know that was like the, <laughs> the um, you know, the joke of everything, but I really love, like when I got a chance to get away from my daughter when she was a baby, I would go to Target and probably spend 30 minutes just going up and down the aisle at Target. <laughs> I was solo shopping trips. I did that during COVID. Yes, I needed. Yeah, it was like, oh my gosh, I need to get out of the house because you know we couldn't go any anywhere when everything first started. Like in St. Louis, Missouri, we had a stay-at-home order, and so you know, I was nervous because, you know, at that time we just thought COVID was like living on all the surfaces and everything you touched, it was going to be absorbed your skin or something <laughs> crazy. But I did, I went, I would go to Target sometimes and I would, you know, sanitize the handles on the cart and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but just to be out and, and there's something relaxing about Target. Even even if you don't buy everything, you look at, it's just it was soothing to me. So yeah. it's relaxing until you get to the cash register, right? That too. Yeah. Well, I will say, I wonder, how did all this stuff get in my car? Right. Yeah i I was going strictly. I would get like some kitty litter or something, but I was like, I'm not. I can't be coming here spending money every time I'm making my <laughs> go somewhere trip 
to mm-hmm. target. So I, I feel you. That resonated with me when you spoke on Target. <laughs> and now that it's kind of normal again, like everybody's back at Target. That's the other thing. It was so nice to shop there then because nobody was really going to mm-hmm. the store. Right. And so it was so peaceful. And right. just like, it was, I mean, there was hardly anything that you might really need on the shelf, but it was still really peaceful. Yes. <laughs> now everybody else is back up in Target. So it's not the same. Right. (laughs) Before we wrap up, um, I want to highlight, I know we talked about this on our first recording, but I wanted to highlight that before the audience today. So for parents who are thinking, you know, homeschooling sounds interesting, but, you know, I still would like to have some of the resources that the public school system offers. Like I want my kid to be able to go to that geometry class or go to PE. Is it possible for you to homeschool and then still use some of those resources that the public school system offers? Absolutely. And for parents, I would say reach out to your local school district. As I said before, your taxes pay for those services. So they are. So I would just say reach out to your local school district, let them know what your interests are, and they will be able to accommodate you with uh, with those interests. Um, I'll give you an example with here in St. Louis, Missouri. My daughter attends a school, Hayeswood School District. She's part of the gifted program. If I were to pull her out to homeschool her, but I wanted her to attend the gifted school, they would happily oblige. So they will provide a bus transportation for but to pick her up from the from my home and take her to their to their gifted program, which for a lot of time they're gifted, the gifted students go to a gifted school um, once a week. They, they can participate in the sports, they can participate in certain um, programs and in certain classes as well. So it's an absolutely yes. And I'll just say reach out to your local school district district, sorry, and they will be able to assist you with what you need to do to, um, to get those services going for your child. Perfect. And they go, sorry, they also it should go along as well for special services too. So if, if your child is special needs, they should able they should be able to provide special services for your child too. So it goes both ways. Perfect. And for parents who are interested in learning more about homeschooling options in their state, so is in every state, are parents allowed to homeschool? And how do they find out about their eligibility and qualifications for that? What's what's the resource for them to find out about getting started with homeschooling? Um, well, you can um, go ahead and, and research your particular state because homeschool laws will vary from state to state. We have the high regulation states. We have the low regulation states as far as homeschool goes. But if you're interested in homeschooling, please, please, please uh, research the laws for your particular state. In general, though, all you need is a high school diploma to homeschool your child or an equivalent like a GED. Mm -hmm. The homeschool, all you have to do is to go ahead and put in your declaration of intent or DOI, as we like to call it. And that can be done online. And that's basically it. (laughs) You know, you just go and and make sure that you're in alignment with the laws. And so when I say that, I mean, 
certain states want you want your child to learn certain subjects. So for my particular state in Georgia, I, I have to teach my children all the core subjects. So that's the, the social studies, science, math, and the language arts. And so those four subjects must be in some way incorporated into our homeschool curriculum. But Georgia is very moderately regulated. And so there's not a lot of, you know, they don't really, you know, drill you <laughs> so far. And I don't think any state really drills you. I think the worst you're going to get is, you know, um, a government official has to come to your home or a school official, I'm sorry, has to come to your home and, and look over your homeschool records if you're in a state that has to keep homeschool records. And that's basically you know, the, the worst of it, you know, um, if you like to homeschool, just to reiterate, research the laws for your particular state. And then when you're ready, put in your declaration of intent and that's it. You're keep that document printed out and that's it. You're, you're legal now when you get to homeschool and your child in a lot of states, you don't have to register if your child is under seven years old in a lot of states. But again, check with your state just to make sure the laws change all the time. So just make sure. And there's also something called um, the HSLDA. That's the homeschool legal defense. And so if you are worried about want to make sure that what you're doing is legal and you're in alignment with everything, um, they help you to ensure that, you know, they give you legal guidance and it is a membership program for families. And so in the event also that, let's say uh, you get in trouble, you know, or are, you know, wrongly accused, you know, the HSLDA will step in and they will provide legal services for you and, and, and defend you uh, in that case, provided that, you know, nothing fishy is going on, of course. But um, so that is an option for the parents that are leery and they want to make sure, you know, like, um, I know it's scary because you want to make sure that you're in, in legal alignment with, you know, your state and, and everything. And so the HSLDA is, is a place that you can start. I believe they have all the, the um, homeschooling laws by state on their website as well. So you can, you can go to their website and, and you can check that out. Also have information on my website, 10 things you need to do before you homeschool. Um, so you can go to the homeschoolgenius.com um, you can click new to homeschool and that will take you to the 10 things you need to do to get started. And that is basically everything that you probably need to go ahead and, and make sure that you are ready to do it. Perfect. And I will link those on the sheconfidential.com website. There will be an episode page for this episode and I'll have, there's always a resource section. And so on that resource section, I'll have your website with a link to that 10 things you need to do before you homeschool and also a link to the homeschool legal defense uh, for the audience to get started there. And then also everyone just make sure you check with your, your state's board of education would I guess be uh, first place for you to, to go to for that declaration of intent and right. to find out about your particular state's laws with regard to homeschooling. Right. Excellent. So before we wrap up, would you, do you ladies have any final thoughts or tidbits that you'd like to share with parents? Just giving final guidance on just how to balance their children's academics during these really crazy times and how to balance taking care of themselves 
while they are taking care of their kids during these really crazy times? Um, I'll um, well, say. that's actually one thing I want to mention. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> and it just, I, and it, I just thought about that because, um, and they, um, decay, but, um, I forgot to mention, I think Missouri does have a online virtual program. Um, if you want to look into homeschooling, um, but you're not sure yet, if you kind of want to just test it out, they do have a program called MOCAP. Um, they can also contact their, um, and this is North Missouri, Missouri, they have MOCAP, and parents can kind of look into that. Um, looking, uh, they contact their local school district. The school district can give them additional information because um, they can definitely transition into homeschooling. That was something that I forgot to mention, and um, I just reminded myself when I was listening to Nikkei um, speaking. Yeah, wonderful. Thank yeah, you. But that was just something I wanted to add in that I forgot. Oh, I appreciate <laughs> that. I just made a note of it, so I'll add that on the, the resource um, section on the website. So thank you for that. Okay. Oh, no problem. And so any final thoughts or, yeah, final thoughts, like Jerry Springer, except just anything that we've covered. I don't know if you ever used to watch the Jerry Springer show, really ratchet, but I watched it faithfully. And despite how like crazy the fights were or whatever the subject matter was, you know, your grandma had like babies with all your husband's brothers, whatever it was, you would always have this <laughs> right. thought at the end it would be so eloquent. You would think he was just talking about saving the elephants. And so I thought, I'm like, oh, that's really nice. We'll try to do that on the, on the show a lot. So any final thoughts that you have about anything that we've talked about uh, today? I mean, we've, we've, this was a really like high level conversation because homeschooling definitely there are so many components to that and then just everything we're talking about transitioning back to this this new normal in the classroom and just balancing academics and uh, well-being we touched on a lot of things just scratching the surface um so of everything that we discussed you know what would you say is the most important thing for parents particularly moms um, to focus on right now I guess I would say, um, you know, I I know that a lot of parents like during this time really would want to homeschool, but they don't necessarily have the resources or they might feel like they can't because they need the income, you know, they need that, you know, if you live in, if you're, you know, living a two parent income, they need both of those income, just a single parent income. And I would say that, you know, the formula for your child to thrive is very simple, whether they're in school or whether they're in homeschool. And that is that their environment is conducive to learning. So as long as they're, as long as they feel safe and nurtured in their environment, they are an optimal environment for learning to take place. And so don't worry if, if your child feels safe, if the child, if the environment is conducive to their social and emotional health, you know, you know, those, that is the main component for a child to be able to learn. No, no child can learn where they feel unsafe or, or, you know, 
or like they're, you know, unwelcomed or, you know, that sort of thing. So just, just mindful that, you know, that's all it takes. And, and so, you know, if your child is in that type of environment, then great. If they're not, then, you know, you can, you know, make the steps to ensure that you can, you know, move them to maybe an environment that is more conducive for them to, to be able to thrive. And so I just want to throw that out there because not everyone can homeschool, you know, obviously like a lot of parents want to, but they can't. And so just want to make sure that parents understood that, you know, just, just pay attention to the environment that your child is in is essentially the best. Some home environments aren't the best environments, you know, so there's that, you know, so, you know, that, that is the, the formula to, to learning. So. And, uh, and I guess for me, I would say is just, I guess my keyword takeaway is just grace. Again, understanding we're under different times and different times and different expectations. So, you know, if it's, if it's not going your way of how you, of how you see where you want your child now, or even where you want to be now, again, just give it grace, give it time, keep pursuing it, keep being motivated, encouraging, prayerful, and, you know, just continue to be optimistic and, you know, it will happen. Definitely. I guess, again, that that whole takeaway is, you know, again, just giving that grace and understanding we're in a totally different time. So things will happen as they happen, as long as you keep pursuing it. I'm not saying giving up, but keep pursuing it. Just keep going for it. You will get there. Thank you. You two are awesome. Thank you so much. (laughs) No problem. Uh, Can you provide your website and your Instagram handle? Because I'm following you on Instagram. And (laughs) I love like I saw yesterday. I'm like, when you talked about everything you did today, I'm like, but you just did all the stuff for Earth Day yesterday. My goodness. (laughs) I'm like, I'm living your house or next door. (laughs) Be a chaperone on some of the activities because y'all have fun. Yes, yes, we definitely have a lot of fun and can join in on that fun at the underscore homeschool underscore genius. That's my Instagram handle there. I'm also on Facebook at the Nikkei Anderson as well. And I share, you know, pretty much the similar things to what I share on Instagram, you know, but a little more informative, you know, post as well. You can also find me at my website, homeschoolgenius.com. So if you're interested in homeschooling, again, you can follow me there. And I have a lot of blog posts about our journey. If you're interested in in following our journey, and I have a lot of blog posts about how you can make the best of your journey. Wonderful. Thank you. And I will have the links to your social media and website. All those will be in the YouTube description box and in the description box for the podcast app. And it'll also be on the episode page for the website, sheconfidential.com. So again, thank you so much, Nikkei Anderson and Tyron Williams. I appreciate both of you, not just for giving me your time for a second time, but for everything that you're doing as educators. I mean, it's, it's so undervalued and, and y'all are really doing God's work. So thank you so much. And my name is Charlene Ketchum, and this is On Her Terms Defined. Thank you for watching, listening. Uh, Until next time.